We're into the second week of our series from Colossians chapter 1 and it's titled Seeing and Worshipping Jesus. We've been doing this morning making much of Jesus. I love it when John says making much of Jesus. Can I commend last week to you if you weren't here we do have CDs of John's Word available out there. If you've got one of these computer things you can download it and listen to it in your car at the shops but uh, Let me commend that to you because these are all supposed to link up. But today we're looking again at Jesus, no better place to look. And we're looking at this one scripture specifically in Colossians 1, chapter 15, where it says that, sorry, verse. But what have I done wrong already? Chapter. Did I say chapter? (laughs) Well, there you go. (laughs) I came to you with weakness and foolishness but also in a demonstration of the power of God. Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, it's not me, it's Jesus, please. It's all about him. We're looking at this in Colossians 1, verse 15. This amazing scripture, he, talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Father, I pray that as we just look at your word, you would open the eyes of our heart to see what you're saying to us. Amen. It's always good to read the Bible in context. Never pick a verse and use it. Always look at the context. So let's look at the context of uh, Colossians and I'm going to start sort of around the middle-ish. And it says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Then verse 16. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, so that everything, in everything, he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. That's Jesus. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through the blood shed on the cross. Amazing scripture. Let's move straight on. Let's have more of the word of God. Colossians 2, verse 8 to 10. This is Paul speaking to the Colossians and this is the Holy Spirit speaking to us. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Jesus Christ. For in Jesus Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. Hallelujah. What a saviour. Isn't the word of God good? 
Brothers and sisters, read it more. (laughs) Get into it. Lie in bed and think about the scriptures, not about the person that's annoying you. I have been living... (laughs) Sure, yeah. Sorry, was that a word of knowledge for everybody? (laughs) Oh dear. We we turn over to the book of Hebrews. It's a little bit further on. This was written to uh, young Jewish Christians, a young church. They were under an awful lot of pressure and um, the writer writes to them writes them this in chapter 1 uh, verses 1 to 3 and the Jewish people would really understand what the first verse means it says in past God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways now folks get hold of this but in these days he has spoken to us by his son Jesus whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. Janet was was extolling God for the beauty of the sunshine. We know we can worship in the rain too, but the beauty of the universe, God, Jesus, made all things. Here we go, verse 3. The Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory. He is the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word after he, Jesus, had provided purification for sins he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven what an amazing saviour, what an amazing God remember, he is the image of the invisible God he is the firstborn over all creation again, 1 verse 19 for God was pleased to have the fullness of of him dwelling within him. And 2, verse 9, For in Jesus Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. A little further on in Hebrews, uh, chapter 3, the writer calls us to fix our thoughts on Jesus. Other versions invite us to consider Jesus. And that's my invitation to us this morning. Whether you've known him for many, many years, 40, 50 plus years, give us a wave, yeah. Whether you've only got to know Jesus in the last few years, whether you've never actually encountered him yet, personally, or you're just inquiring, this is your opportunity to consider Jesus. Do you remember that song, us old Christians, we used to sing, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, yeah? Say it with me, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So when you think of Jesus, what do you see? Do you see a limp, beaten corpse on a cross? Maybe you, see, maybe you see a good man. He, he was a good man, you know. Jesus, he was a good man. Maybe he's a, he's a helpful crutch in your life when things get a little bit difficult and you can lean on him a bit and have a little bit of prayer. Maybe you don't know Jesus yet. You see him as a potentially demanding deity who's going to pressurise you, make you do things you don't want to do and take all the fun out of your life. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So who is God? 
Anyone heard of Mike Betts? Mike Betts, yeah. He's a, he's a man who speaks into this church and he supports what we're doing and looks after a number of churches. And uh, Biblically, we would call him an apostle. Well, he does a little thing on, on the internet and recently he said this. He said, The Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, equal in essence, not divided in substance. Say that again. The Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, equal in essence, not divided in substance. God is three persons. I want to sing, Blessed Trinity, at that point. But God is three persons. All three persons, equally God, equal in essence, equal in status. And as we were hearing earlier, it's a mystery. As David wisely said, I don't understand it. It's a mystery. Yet I believe what the Bible says is true. You know, our natural minds, they can't, they can't grasp it. But there's a gift of God. There's a gift of faith that can bridge that gap in our thinking, our human understanding, that we can open our eyes and see by the Spirit that God is three in one. So the, the word essence, what is, what is the word essence? Well, if in doubt, preachers turn to two things. One is the Reader's Digest, or the other is uh, good old English dictionary. Essence means this, the intrinsic nature or indispensable quality of something, especially something abstract, which determines its character. The intrinsic nature or indispensable quality of something, it determines its character. Look at Romans 1. Romans 1, book early on in the Bible, Paul is speaking to this church and he's saying, you look at all this creation, but look who's behind it. It's God. It's Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit. Take the analogy of water. Water can come in three forms, can't it? It can come as a liquid, have a little swim in it. It comes as ice, which we pop in our orange squash. So, so is a word of knowledge coming there from the right? <laughs> no. <laughs> or it can come as steam. They are all essentially and intrinsically the same thing, but it's water. And water is just a natural substance. But God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, intrinsically God. I would now like to show you a photograph of one of the greatest singers this world has ever known. <laughs> His name is the Reverend Steve Dunn. <laughs> Can anyone tell me who that is? Elvis and an Elvis impersonator. What, the one on the left or the one on the right? <laughs> you see, in the world we have many images, don't we? Now, Pop Fatler, I know Steve and Jenny and Amy have been off to, over there to see the king and, and uh, they've been to his house and looked around and so forth. And I guess when you guys were out there, there were just loads of Elvis impersonators. They look like him, probably better than that one. They look like Elvis... They move like Elvis. They talk like Elvis, thank you very much. Or whatever, I don't know how he did it. They sing like Elvis. You know, but are they Elvis? No. No, they're not. There's only one true Elvis. 
Imagine being the hairdresser of the, of the army that had to take all that hair off, eh? God, dear, that'd be worth a few bobs, eh? But there's only one true Elvis, isn't there? You see, it might sound a bit twee, but here's, here's the challenge. Are you giving your life for an image? Are you giving your life for something? And actually, you're missing the point. Are you giving your life to Jesus, Father, Son and Holy Spirit? Or are you giving your life to crime novels? You're giving life to hours of watching Bargain Hunt, hours of going to to football matches. None of these things are wrong. But what is Lord of your life? Is it Jesus? And I would argue, if it isn't Jesus, it's actually because our vision of him isn't big enough and we get a little bit bored and we get a little bit tired and a little bit under pressure. I'd just like to read you my favourite version of Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. It says, God, after he spoke long ago, ago to the fathers and the prophets and in many ways and in many portions, in these last days he has spoken to us through his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the world. Here we go. Oh, friends, grasp this, grasp this. He is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature. And he upholds all things by his powerful word. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is, in essence, very God. Don't you love that in that term? Oh, come all ye faithful, we sing that line. Very God. Begotten, not created. He is very, very God. The exact representation of God. You see, Jesus is not like a God lookalike. Hello. He wasn't the sidekick, as some will tell you, at creation. It's a bad misinterpretation of Proverbs 7. Jesus wasn't the helper at creation. Jesus was the creator, working Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Is Jesus just a, a helpful little thing on the side? No, he is God. He is God. He is the very essence and in his very nature God. Colossians 1.19, it says, God was pleased for the fullness of his fullness to dwell in him. Or as it says at the start of that downstate from 83, <laughs> in him the fullness of deity dwells. I heard that and it's gone in and it stayed in for what, 27 years. In him, friends, in Jesus, the fullness of deity dwells. Now, I can't convince you of this. Okay? I can bang away on it. People think, well, why can't he shut up? Because the Grand Prix will start soon. It's only the Holy Spirit that can open our hearts and open our eyes. I've been praying, I know others have been praying, Lord, open eyes. We come week after week, open our eyes to the truth and the vibrancy of this, of this gospel. Now, talking about the gospel, at the beginning of the New Testament, that's the sort of back bit of the Bible, there's four gospels, and there are four accounts of Jesus given by four different people, all from different viewpoints. And the second one is uh, the Gospel of Mark. And some theologians will say that this is the, the, the disciple Peter's account. And, uh, and it's kind of Peter's view on what happened uh, while he was with Jesus. And I think it must be Peter because he was such a big mouth. He would always just get straight in there and kind of sort the mess out later, wouldn't he? 
reminds me of someone I see shaving every morning. And uh, the Gospel of Mark starts with this. Chapter 1, verse 1. It is, it says this, it is the beginning of the Gospel about Jesus, the Son of God. No punches, no apologies or apologetics. This is the beginning of the Gospel about Jesus, the Son of God. It all starts with Jesus. Then you look at John, who we're going to be looking at a bit more later on. John, who knew Jesus so well. And it says in, in, in the first, first verse of John, chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, speaking of Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is God. So let's consider him again. Remember, he is the image of the invisible God. I know I keep saying it, but it's truth. He's the exact representation of his nature. My invitation is to you, whether you're a Christian, not a Christian, you don't know what you are, consider Jesus. I'd like to read you a little bit from a book that I found very helpful by a chap called Adrian Warnock. And he says this, and this ties in beautifully with what John was saying last week about light and darkness, which is why it's very important to get the tape from last week. He says this, In the presence of light, darkness disappears. What is the light? It is the revelation of the nature of God to us through his son Jesus. Looking into the depths of this revelation changes us. Then he quotes 2 Corinthians 3.18 that says this, And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Jesus is at work changing every believer to be more like himself. The more we gaze upon the risen, glorified King Jesus, the more we will become like him. The more we see Jesus for who he is, the more we will be made into his image. Our current knowledge is at best partial. Then he quotes again from 1 Corinthians 13, 12, that says this, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part, then I, shall be know, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Again, we were talking about that earlier. One day we're going to see Jesus, aren't we? Our current partial knowledge of God will be swallowed up and replaced with a full knowledge of him. Hallelujah. Ultimately, there will be a day when we will see Jesus face to face. Do I see any smiles out there? <laughs> And in an instance, our transformation will be complete. How fantastic. You know, I, I hear occasionally, and I know I get wound up about this, so I'm going to back right off. I hear some Christians, when I get to heaven, I'm going to tell God what I think about suffering. I'm going to ask him why that happened. I'm going to ask him why all that wars and why all those suffering. And that's valid. No, I'm not knocking that. But I hear that. But if we turn to the back of the Bible, we see a book, and it's called the Book of Revelation. If you actually read it carefully, it's not a revelation of the end times. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ. Don't read it and try and work out what's happening around the world. <laughs> it is a revelation of Jesus Christ. It is a revelation of Jesus Christ. If we read through chapter 1, we see... 
John is speaking of Jesus. And John had been a disciple of Jesus. He'd walked with Jesus. He'd, he'd, he'd been one of his disciples. He'd been a, been a very close disciple. Some, you know, it says in the Bible that he even leant against Jesus during the Last Supper. They were very, very close. Probably the closest disciple. But when John had a glimpse of the risen, ascended, glorified Jesus, it blew his mind. He didn't stand there looking at it going, yeah, Lord, but how did you feed 5,000? Why, why did the Romans suffer? And why did we have all these problems? He saw Jesus and he was changed. He was in a prison camp. Some would say he'd been boiled in oil. That's traditional speaking. This man had suffered much for the gospel and he saw Jesus. He didn't just see his mate who'd given him some bread and wine. He saw the glorified, risen, ascended Jesus. It was not the time to ask about problems and so forth. He was completely engrossed in who Jesus was. This is what John Piper says. He says, The pleasure the Christian seeks is the pleasure that is in God himself. God is the end of our search, not the means to some further end. Our exceeding joy is he, the Lord, not the streets of gold or a reunion with relatives or any of the blessings of heaven. We need to be wary that we do not reduce God to a key that unlocks a treasure chest of gold and silver. I don't want to get to heaven for answers. I lost my dad 14 years ago and he was a good man and I miss him a lot. You know, whether I meet him or not, that's not the debate. But Jesus is everything and all in all. If you come to me after say, yes, Junior, what about my dog and what about my mum? I don't know. God is good. Absent from the body is present with the Lord. But when we have a revelation of who Jesus is, other things, no matter how important, will pale in the face of Jesus. You see, our revelation, my revelation of Jesus, is too limited. Whether it's culture, upbringing, religious activity, busyness, whatever, I can lose the wonder of what he's done for us and the impact that he wants to have on my life. We're moulded, aren't we, by by our upbringing, our, our environment. We're geared so much to see things from our own perspective. We record, um, we record some of the cooking programmes and travel programmes during the day on our, on our video thing. And it amazes me when the adverts come up. Probably three out of every five adverts during the day are, have you had an accident that wasn't your fault? You are owed this money. Did you know that banks have been conning you? It's feeding our spirits, friends, to be fighting for our rights all the time. The only right we have is eternal punishment because we were born sin. Bit 19th century. But because of Jesus, we have all the rights of heaven. Yeah, we should fight for justice. That's the right thing to do. But don't let it pervade your spirit. Don't let it get in there. We need to have our eyes fixed on Jesus. Enjoy the telly. Enjoy football. That's great. But let our vision of Jesus grow and grow and grow. 
Let me just read you another little bit from Andrew Warnock. I can't do it justice in my own words. He calls it getting the right image of Jesus. Our, my, biggest problem is that we do not see Jesus as he is. If we could desire him, treasure him, delight in him, be satisfied in him, cherish him, savour him, value him, revere him, esteem and admire him as much as he deserves, we would want to follow him as Lord in every area of our life and sin would instantly lose its appeal. One of the most important ways for us to deal with sin in our lives is to get a clear picture of Jesus in our minds and hearts. Jesus shares every attribute with God and is therefore, here we go, not to be messed around with, argued with or treated with contempt. It is, it is as we contemplate Jesus and his resurrection that we, we will be changed. I'm not sure that I revere him, honour him as much as I could. It's not about feelings. It's about honouring and worshipping him. Well, as we know, Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father. Kind of relieved about that, because other famous world leaders died. <laughs> but Jesus ascended, and his, and his disciples were, were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were anointed. And I believe when they were anointed, they saw who Jesus was. They had a vision of who he was. That's what drove them through so much natural and earthly pain and anguish that they went through. They saw him as ascended. They saw him as victorious. They saw him as supreme, perfect, powerful, faithful and abundant in grace. To this God, what can I bring? To this Jesus, all I can bring him is my weakness, my shortcoming, my sin. Even as a Christian, all I can bring him is just my need of him. It's all I can bring him. See, God is doing something very precious here at Beacon. Will I get an amen for that? Yeah. God's doing something, isn't he? It's exciting. And that, of course, that, that's going to be contested by tiredness and weariness and people getting upset with each other. That's just life. That will be contested. But part of it, dear friends, is, is when we see Jesus as he is, and I'm not there yet, please, I'm longing for more, more. It means that my preferences won't become so important my desires for how things should be done will become less important because Jesus is going to build his church his way. I'll touch on that in four weeks' time. See, the world, it just hammers us, doesn't it, with images of how we should be, how we should look, you know, the dress size that we should be, and most of all, the rights, my rights, which we touched on earlier. But there is no place for me on the throne. You know, maybe, maybe stick that on your fridge. There is no place for me on the throne. And yet we are seated with him in heavenly places. Strange, isn't it? It's a paradox. But it's only because of his grace. It's only because, as we sang earlier, Christ living in me because of the sacrifice that Jesus made. If I could see Jesus, if I could see Jesus as he truly is, then my selfish desires for how things should be done I think would take a bit more of a back seat because it's all about Jesus. 
So when John saw Jesus, he had a revelation. He'd known Jesus and he saw him, it ascended. And it transformed him. And it turned him not into a questioner, but it turned him into a worshipper. And if you go back to the middle of your Bible, in the Old Testament, this is before Jesus uh, came and lived on the earth for the three and a half, uh, three and a half years, <laughs> 33, 34 years. In the Old Testament, God had a chosen people, and like me, they were messing it up, getting it wrong, coming back, getting it wrong. But in Isaiah chapter 6, we meet a man called Isaiah, and uh, he, was, he was grappling with a lot of things. Firstly, his good friend, King Isaiah, had just died. He was confronted by God's people who were rebelling and doing bad stuff. And also, he had this stirring in him that he felt God was speaking through him. I mean, what a, what a strange and difficult place to be in. And then we get this scripture in Isaiah 6, verse 1. It said, In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two they covered their face, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. Interesting, six wings, four worship, two practical. That puts 80-20 in a mix. Six wings, four worship, two practical. And they were calling out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the sound of their voices shook the the, the doorposts and the threshold and the temple was filled with smoke. And Isaiah said, Woe is me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. This man who, an Old Testament, if you saw God, you were in severe trouble. <laughs> and yet God reveals himself to this man. He had a revelation of God. And as we know, that changed him. Suddenly his gifting made sense. He saw the weakness and the foolishness. I mean, he'd been a pretty good prophet for the first five chapters. <laughs> he was doing all right. And yet when he met God, he said, Lord, I'm undone, I'm ruined. You know, and it's scary preaching this stuff because you sit there, you know, in your lounge on a damp, you know, Friday evening and you're thinking, but Lord, what if I did meet with you? What if we really did encounter Jesus? (sighs) Wow. But the revelation of God, it changed him. It energised him. And I often say it's a bit of a throwaway remark, but, and I don't say this flippantly, but do you remember the story goes on? One of the angels brings a, a coal and touches his lips and he says, I've taken away your sin. And late, later on, Isaiah says, here my Lord, send me. And I'm not being flippant, but this is what he would have said. Because <laughs> he would have white hot coal on the lips. Have you ever put a bit of hot, you know, you test a cake, put it on your lips and see what it's done? You imagine a red hot coal on your lips. He was transformed. (laughs) He met with God and he was transformed. Yeah. I travel up to London sometimes with work. I'm on the train. (laughs) 
train thunders down through Bromley South and, and we approach Herne Hill. And as we're about to go through Herne Hill, I always look out to the right and I see the tower of Herne Hill Baptist Church where I was dedicated in 1960. And it makes... Oh, sorry, 1980, sorry. <laughs> Lines have come out. <laughs> oh, dear. April, April 1960. But it reminds me of this. My parents dedicated me to the Lord, which I'm very grateful for. But more importantly, there came a time when God, in his great mercy and his great kindness, not because I was searching, but he came to me and he opened my eyes to see that Jesus Christ was Lord. Then I had to make a decision. Was I going to bow the knee or not? And I thank God. Do you remember Steve talking about the rainbow at Family Zone? Was it Derek talking about the rainbow? Steve. What did Steve say we should do when we see a rainbow? What's the Bible say? Yeah, remember God's promise. And Steve said, when we see a rainbow, we, we remember Jesus. I nearly texted Steve on Wednesday because I was um, just sitting down to read my um, biblical theosaurus. Oh, actually, to watch The Simpsons, sorry. <laughs> I knew it was one or the other. Three. And I looked out the window and there was a rainbow and I immediately thought, think of Jesus. You know, things are said here. Families aren't always just the kids' stuff. I tell you what, it's truth. Derek stands up here and, you know, that's biblical truth, brothers and sisters. Memory, anyone remember the memory verse from last time? What was it, Steve? <laughs> By faith, Noah built an ark to save his family. See, I've forgotten it. It's terrible. But he did, and it was by faith. Sometimes we're looking for God to do it for us. We have to humble ourselves. <laughs> Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you're, you're thinking about, oh, I don't know about all this. Well, consider Jesus. Jesus said to his disciples, he said to them, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And I know some in this room have had a revelation of who the Father is. Wow. You know. But God is three in one. Now, let's be real, that can be confusing. Unless you use a lot of oil, you know, in the garden. Three in one. It's, well, God's three in one. Well, yeah, that's all very nice. The fairy story, maybe. But the thing is, God asks us to come to him like a little child. You know, you can have a, a child that wants to cross the road. He looks up at his dad, mum or dad. They put the hand down. They put the hand up. They grasp the hand. And they walk across the road together. You see, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And and this shows and proves to us that Jesus is perfect in every way. The Bible tells us from the experiences, um, and and we know from experience, that we have fallen short. We've sinned, we've got things wrong, we've acted selfishly, we, just use the word I here, cheated, often to protect our own image. And I could have spent the whole morning just on our image, but it's more important to talk about Jesus being the image. Maybe that's a little study you'd like to do for yourselves. Throughout the Old Testament, the Bible, look at Jacob, Esau, trying to protect their own image. But God simply wants to nudge your heart this morning, I believe. The phone's off, the TV's off. You've got the neighbours throwing stuff over the fence. 
You haven't got X on the phone hassling you. Just to, just to take a moment to think. Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Jesus could be dropping his hand down to me right now, offering me to take his hand. You see, if you don't know Jesus, let me tell you, it is time to cross the road. <laughs> it's time. We sang that song. I sometimes nearly want to cry that last verse of 10,000 Reasons. On that day, when my strength is failing, uh, how's it go? My time has come. Let me tell you, everyone in this room is going to face that. We're going to face a time, please Lord, in a nice comfortable bed surrounded by people who are nice. (laughs) Our time will come. And then we will know. If you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, as John was saying last week, there's a lot of darkness waiting for you. That's not me being heavy. That's just being truth according to the word of God. Heard someone on the radio this morning. When I get to the gates with old St Peter, you know, we'll probably have a little bit of a jam. No, you won't. You will go to hell if you have not confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. It's an old-fashioned message. It's a message to me as a Christian. I need to confess Jesus as my Lord and to be saved. The Bible says, this is the good news, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that none would die but would have eternal life. He holds that out to you. He holds that out to people in Bognor Drive, the people that Peggy and Fred Norris have been praying for for years and years. He holds that invitation out. My son has paid the price. And only a perfect price could be paid, which is why Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Because if he wasn't God, he couldn't pay the price. It wouldn't be just. It wouldn't be right. Who is this Jesus? Well, look, look, look at him when he was on earth. Who is God? Look at Jesus. What did Jesus do? He healed people. He delivered people. He blessed people. He challenged people. He was strong with religious people who were trying to do it their own way. He loved people and he laid his life down for people. He laid his life down for you. So why not today take a childlike step and say, God, I don't know who you are, I don't understand it, but if Jesus, God, Holy Spirit, if that essence is one, I need you. Would you forgive me for the things that I've done that are wrong? Would you come and live in me and give me new life? Would you put me into a family? You see, God's not meant to be a helpful add-on just to add to your thinking and your, your qualified thinkings, I say. We've known people and family members and so forth who are so well educated, they find it so hard to grasp the simplicity. I think that's why poor, thick people like me find it easier to love Jesus because there ain't much else, you know. But God loves the intellectuals too. He loves people who are intelligent. That's a good thing to have and it's something we should honour. But the first step is a childlike step. Jesus, I take your hand and only he can bridge that gap. As we were saying the other night, it's a cross that bridges that gap. No good works, no good deeds can get us across to God. Only faith in Jesus Christ. God is not a helpful add-on to help you with your life. He's either Lord or he isn't. As I was preparing, I felt that very strongly and I don't want to lay it heavy, but either Jesus is Lord or he isn't. 
there is no halfway house. I recorded a programme about a well-known football team um, this week and I was watching it last night and they were talking to these very um, fervent supporters and this supporter said, he said, it's like our religion, he said. There's the crowd, the manager and the team. That is the Holy Trinity. Now don't get me wrong, I like football. Well I don't because my team is so rubbish that they never play but but that is so wrong. We can fill our minds with sport or with murder mysteries or with daytime TV or sport or, 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 or try and think or music. You know, those things can become gods. And it's not a those things are wrong session because those are right. But our vision of Jesus needs to be the most important thing that drives our life. Enjoy your murder mystery book, enjoy bargain hunt, enjoy your music, enjoy rugby, football cricket. But it has to be Jesus first. Jesus first. Because the, the consequences are eternal. <laughs> Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The exact representation of his nature. It is all about Jesus. And I just want to close in prayer now because I want to ask God for myself and for us that we would have a, a greater revelation of Jesus. I, just, I won't embarrass anyone by asking the same thing, but was there anyone here who, when they met Jesus, um, it was, you know, it was, it, you know I, I gave my life to the Lord, but I didn't particularly feel anything. I'm not going to pick on you or make you do anything, but you saw, I gave my life to the Lord, and it was just, you know, it was good. It was okay. Yeah? Yeah? Okay. And have we got people here who, when they gave their life to the Lord, or they filled with the Spirit, they had the most stunning kind of, and again, I won't ask you to come up and do anything, but you had this sort of, whoa, when you got saved or filled the Spirit. Yeah? About half and half. Feelings come and go, don't they? But my heart, for me and for us, is that our revelation of Jesus becomes greater and greater. Shall we just stand for a moment, please? Lord Jesus, we want to thank you that you are the image of the invisible God, that you are the firstborn over all creation. We want to thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the radiance of God's glory and that you are the exact representation of the being of God and that you, Lord Jesus, sustain all things by the work of your power. Father, I pray for myself and I pray for my friends here. Lord, would you increase our vision of you. As the old saints used to say, enlarge my capacity within, O Lord, and fill it with you. And Father, we pray for those on the edge of the church, those inquiring, that Lord Jesus, that you would open the eyes of their heart to see who you are. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. We've got tea and coffee served in a moment. Don't forget we've got the prayer and vision evening tonight. Get behind that, that would be great. Thank you very much.